at the very least, this thing is cringy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So last week, uh, Peugeot was in California giving a talk about, um, it was a conference and they were, the the title of the conference was like uh, finding a spiritual home, like the quest for a spiritual home and how we can uh, kind of as a church on the whole, um, like live in society today. Uh, But Peugeot's talk was kind of centered around the importance of disappointment in that, you know, ultimately we're not made for this life. And so any type of like perfect system that we can come up with is actually not going to live out to its promise. Um, and then he had a subsequent conversation with Verveke and they were kind of really circling around the idea of neither nostalgia nor utopia. So like no nostalgia for the past. We can't go back in time and we can't create a utopia here. It just brought up a lot of circling thoughts for myself and, um, and how that, that really plays out in other aspects of life. Obviously, the, the Thomas Sowell quote, there's no solutions, only trade-offs. Like, that was the first thing that came to me. Um, and then also, the idea as artists, there's like that trope, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And it made me think about how artists have a kind of co-creation role in that they create things. And there might be this type of like utopian vision of how it's going to come out. Like I'm going to write the perfect song. It's going to be the best. Um, and if I'm always trying for that utopia, it's never actually going to happen. And so like the only thing, the only thing that we can create in this world are good things. And in that kind of verveki definition of good that they like point to a truth about reality. And so like my creation and all the created goods all the created things are good, like per Genesis, right? Like God saw that it was good. So like created worlds and created things are good, but they're not perfect. Um, and so in my creation, I have to realize that what I'm creating is a good thing, not a perfect thing. And so like, I feel like that really fits well um, in that idea of neither nostalgia nor utopia. And that's like, I can't be nostalgic and be like all my previous creations are better and I should just not create anymore. And there's no utopian vision of like, well, this is going to be perfect or else it's not coming out. Then like no creation actually happens. And that like, I feel like that's a fundamental system of reality that like even Thomas Sowell is bringing up. That's what I feel like he's alluding to. And then even like in how churches, how people experience church and worship, it's like, yeah, it's, it's going to be messy. Like raising families are going to be messy. You can't expect this perfect system, um, but you also can't just give up on it. So, like, this is the world we're given, and so we have to kind of wrestle with that. Just a lot of things. What do you guys think? Well, how do you, like, as an artist, how do you determine when uh, you've reached the good and you realize that it's not worth um, tinkering with anymore? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I feel like it's more of a realization that, like, I have done my part in perfecting my craft, paying attention to details, and then I've reached a like a plateau of how good this could get the more time I put in. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that point, just like uh, critically analyzing that, but then also a type of humility and realization that this is not a reflection of me. This is a reflection of something else. Like this is an expression of love for a higher being. Like even like whatever art we're talking about, like any type of creation, like 
in order to get it out, there is this kind of movement towards like, this is beyond me. And so here it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so it almost kind of becomes irrational in that it it's just released. That's it. Like when it's done, it's done. Like you just kind of have this feeling that's like, this is no longer about me. I did everything. Like I've I've paid my responsibility to the craft and to the art and my expression. And now it's, it's ready to go. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, that's fair. But at the same time, I think that I think a helpful principle um, is feedback from others too, right? For sure. One like, because I like, you know, I'm I'm an aspiring writer. I, I like to write. Um, uh, I'm working on a book right now, and sometimes you get so caught up in the world that you're creating, the song that you're creating, in your example, um, that you are not able. You're kind of blindsided, or you, you have blinders on uh, in what's how other people perceive it, um, things that might be a fatal flaw, um, and you're just so wrapped up in the thing and your idea, you're like holding on to this like vision of utopia mm-hmm. that uh, you just can't get out of that perspective. And so when you have outside help and help, uh, an outside perspective, that can make you, that, that gives you a bigger sense of um, uh, objectively what you're doing. Right. And once you get that feedback from others, um, those multiple perspectives, um, that can really tell you, like, okay, do I have something good now? Right. Um, yeah, it definitely is some sort of, like, I'm stepping outside myself thing. Like, you know, you have to get outside perspective. So it is yeah. a kind of humility humility in letting go. Like, if I'm, like, finicking with the drum sounds constantly and someone's, like, listening, like, I'm an avid music listener, this sounds great. It's like, okay, maybe I'm over-obsessing. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it definitely helps to get that outside opinion just for the sake of like, getting out of your own head. Yeah. Yeah, I think everything you were talking about, Matt, speaks to just a human condition. You know, the tension between uh, utopia and nostalgia is because we we live in the in the present moment. We live in the past and in the future. Right. So we 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 live for utopia, which is in the future. Hopefully, mm-hmm. this is what we're aiming for. We want something perfect, but then we also live in the past of of nostalgia and. We, I think you're right to say that we don't create perfect things. We create good things. But because it, there, there's also the tension of our finitude that we want it to be perfect. Yeah. And we're sort of like humans almost rebel against their own human nature. But all we have, to, all we have is what's in front of us. All we have is what, what reality is. Right. And we have to work with that. And I think uh, someone like Thomas Sowell is very sobering. <clears throat> In that way, that he doesn't work with utopias, he works with human nature, and that and the and the the laws of human nature that um, humans have to abide by. Right. Yeah, I I even think of like like taking this down from an artistic perspective, but to a more practical, like raising a family. The idea that you're going to create a perfect system for your family can is just going to lead to tyranny. You know what I'm saying? Like, think about the over-obsessing you would have over, like, disciplining your kids and, like, you know, making them perfectly obedient. You would destroy the life of the, that child. Um, alternatively, if you had a utopia of, like, ah, like, things were better when I was a kid. Like, these kids nowadays, like, just, and just hands free, like, I can't control it. That's the nostalgia. So it's, like, having that balance between nostalgia and utopia and trying to find that fine line that there are no solutions, only trade-offs. Like, we're only going to attempt, yeah. like... 
that was that was Peugeot's whole point of like his his talk was like the importance of disappointment. Like we're going to be disappointed, and that's a good thing because it means it means that there's hope in the in the afterlife. Like it's like it's actually pointing to something. It doesn't mean despair because it's never going to be perfect. It means that it's actually we're sojourning to something. Mm-hmm. So here's some pushback. Yeah, give it to I me. Th- <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, when we consider um, the smallest microcosm of creation, which is ourselves, uh, we have a duty to be perfect. That's This is Christ's mm-hmm. command. He doesn't say be good. He says be perfect. And so in our own lives, you know, you can, you can see your life as, um, as JP2 said in his letter to artists, the, the greatest work of art is actually um, your own life that you create. You know, the beauty that you can create in living a virtuous life is the greatest work of art that anyone can undertake. So in that sense, when we're perfecting our characters, and I don't use that word lightly, mm-hmm. we are perfecting our characters. And so when our Lord says, be perfect as your fe- heavenly father is perfect, I think there is a constant working on our characters that we need to undertake till the end of our days. And I don't think, I don't think it's Christian to just say, well, my life is good enough. Right. For sure. And to let go of it and say, I've done all I can and I've plateaued. Right. Mm -hmm. There's no plateau really in a spiritual life. Um, And so I do get, you know, for the artist, for the businessman, um, even in families, um, there, there does have to be a kind of letting go and saying like, there's a beauty in the imperfection, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> in the messiness of life. But on the other hand, when it comes to ourselves, which arguably, you know, in, in a kind of a humanitarian, like Petersonian way, mm-hmm. like that's the most important undertaking we can do. Mm-hmm. Like we have to strive for perfection. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I agree. I don't think that contradicts the point though, because who is perfect? Well, right. But we still strive for it. Right. right. And so, but that, this is the whole point in that, like, we strive and we, and then we are disappointed and then we strive again. Like, this is, the, that's right. why important, yeah. that's why disappointment is there, is to realize that we're not God. Like, we're not going to get there, yeah. but we hope in God, not in ourselves. So, like, when I say letting go of, of my art because I've plateaued, it's that particular song. But as an artist, I'm still climbing. Like, I'm still learning. I'm yeah. still perfecting the craft. Um, so it's it's not it just depends on what you're talking about in terms of letting it go. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like maybe like my spiritual life, maybe like my past Lent wasn't the best it could have been. I'm gonna let that go now. Yeah. Like I can't obsess over trying to make the perfect Lent experience because time moves on. Mm-hmm. But my spiritual life is still gonna continue, and I'm gonna still strive for a better Lent next year. Mm-hmm. So it's it's it is it is seemingly contradictory because it's so easy to slip into like taking this as a you're doing good enough and that's it. You know what I'm saying? Like realize that nobody's perfect and that means you're done. It's like, it actually doesn't mean you're done. It means that you should continue right. to strive. You know, the, um, no, I think that's exactly right. And I'm reminded of like the, the model of the church, it really um, strikes this balance between um, nostalgia and utopia perfectly because in our, in, in the church's uh, moral, um, moral life and, and the morals that she sets for us, for us, uh, and the, stand, the high standards that she sets for us, it may seem like only a perfect person can live that way. Uh, and this is the, the criticism that the church gets in, in our in, in modernity. Modernity is like, your standards are too high, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, who can live like that? That's unreasonable. Well, 
I think those standards are high because it's following Christ's command of being perfect. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's the goal of utopia that the church is striving for. But practically, there's extreme mercy on the other hand too. Mm. Like the confession is available at every church that you go to across the world. And so while we're striving for that perfection, we can constantly we, – we constantly fall into disappointment, as Peugeot said. We can begin again. Like no matter how many times you fall, you can be absolved of your sins and keep striving for perfection. Uh, and so the church has this like beautiful um, balance between like uh, extreme um, demands mm-hmm. and then extreme mercy too, right? right? Um, yeah. Well, I, I think <clears throat> what you're hitting on is that people become perfect, but they become perfect by means of purgation or, or some sort of burning off, which in, this, which in the context <clears throat> you're talking about is something supernatural. That if mm-hmm. someone becomes perfect, they become perfect by a God's grace, right? Yeah, right, right, by something right. supernatural. Yeah, that is what is what ultimately perfects them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so right. It, so, a, yeah. so you can strive, of course, do your do your duty, but in yeah. the end, if you reach this, you know, the, the highest, if you're in the seventh mansion. You know, it's because of God's grace, right? Not. That's uh, and that's an important caveat. It's not like we strive for perfection. Mm-hmm. We do, mm-hmm. um, but ultimately, when it's not enough. Right. right, it's not enough. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm, I got a lot of things circling right now. <laughs> um, that's interesting because if you keep perfection as the goal, right? Christ says, "Be perfect," but then realize you can never achieve it. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't be moving towards that. So, like an athlete who has the idea of like the perfect game or the perfect uh, action in a sport or whatever. Um, is always striving towards that, even though if that might not ever be achieved. But if you set the bar lower, that means it, and make it something that is achievable, it means that you can actually plateau, and your and then your endeavors kind of flatline. Mm-hmm. Um, that reminds me of like homeostasis, like your body's temperature. Um, in that, if you're trying to hit that ninety-eight point three degrees, you don't actually hit that temperature ever. Like that's like the ideal temperature, whatever. Um, you actually oscillate between like too cold and too hot, and you're constantly moving, trying to maintain a temperature, but you never actually hit it. You're like circling around it, so it's almost that kind of like the goal is outside of the game, hmm. kind of thing, where uh, if perfect is this temperature, but you never achieve it, that's how life continues. But if you stop and say, actually, no, not, like 96 is fine, then then you die. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like then life stops. So it seems like it's it's like a pattern of life that is like the goal is outside of us into this like eternal darkness that we're striving towards and we never actually get to it. But without that, life doesn't continue. Just yeah. seems like a pattern. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah. I, I think uh, even, even Jung talks about this with um, psychic energy. That, you know, not that he thinks that the psyche actually has this energy, just as if. Um, but it's it's generated between the tension of opposites. Mm. That in the in the tension of two opposite things, mm. energy is created, and that's what keeps you going. That you know, right. you know, he would say the depression is a lack of tension, or a lack of a kind of a flow of energy mm. that keeps you motivated, keeps you moving forward. So in the, in what you're talking about here mm. is sort of like again. Uh, making the perfect out, you know, something f- uh, far above us, but at the same time, 
balancing it with the tension of being fallen and imperfect, there, that's yep. where you get your energy. Yep. Is is in that tension of I need to strive, but I know that I'm not everything I should be, and I I know I, I maybe I'll never be perfect, but I should still try. Right, and that keeps you going forward. And Isn't that also like the symbol of the yin yang? In that, like, yeah, yeah I right. thought even, about that too. Even yeah. within the black side, there's the white dot, right, and vice exactly. versa. Yeah. Like, there's always going to be a little bit of something that'll get you back in the cycle. But that's the cycle of life. Like, that's how it works. Yeah. In order to find that middle that it's moving towards. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. The definitely primordial patterns going on there. Yeah, yeah. But the yang yang symbol, I thought I, that that symbol popped into my head just now too. I also thought of the um, uh, it's, it's like we're just trying to come up with all like, all these like <laughs> it's like this and this, but no, um, but it is, but it is. I know, basically related. Um, so <laughs> the I thought of the hero's journey too, um, and how like it's 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 only intention that um society is saved right and the hero becomes the hero um if there's no tension there's no con- there's no story right mm. um and everything is just as is um but it's when kind of the darkness encroaches upon the light that the light is called out um to banish the darkness essentially um uh, another um trope that popped into my mind was um the um rescuing your father from the underworld is this exact idea where um the idea where the hero would descend into hell to rescue his father, that being symbolic of rescuing his past, mm-hmm. uh, honoring the past, mm-hmm. um, but noticing that the past is actually not perfect by the very fact that it's in hell, right? Um, and so this is represented really well with um, in the Aeneid, where um, Aeneas goes into the underworld to save his father. But his whole the whole point of that story is actually to found Rome, Um for his son. <laughs> and so his mm. son represents the future. His father represents the past. He doesn't negate either one. Mm. But by rescuing his father, honoring his past, he's able to create a better future for his son. Mm. Something that his father was not able to. Uh, and so in that trope, rescuing your father from the underworld, you have, I think, the perfect balance of nostalgia and utopia. Um, realizing that the past is not perfect, but that we're striving to make a better future by honoring the past, Right. Um, you can't, there's no such thing as a, um, a healthy future with a, um, with a, with a perfect negation of the past. Right. And there's no such thing as, um, looking back with this, like this, um, mm. golden lens kind mm. of, what was the term? Golden, golden colored lens. Rose colored And golden age thinking. Yeah, yeah. Um, without actually like, y- you can't have a healthy nostalgia, uh, if you're not also bettering your future. Right. Um, so, Yeah. Yeah, that's really good stuff. I didn't think about the hero's journey stuff. That's that's um, that's right on. Yeah, that was that was a good example. Oh, thanks. Yeah. thanks. <laughs> <laughs> More examples. Go ahead. <laughs> um, the health symbol. <laughs> like, oh, okay, you really want one? The whole like the whole two snakes going up the the the, the staff, staff. Yeah. Um, to the like golden ball up top is like that the idea that things are circling towards something that's outside of itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just seems like this is like this this is the the system that we're in. Yeah. Um and then cooperating with that system is going to bring out the best good. Right. And I mean the ultimate example of that is Christ on the cross where he became imperfection. Mm. Like he became sin to open us up for eternal life. Um and so like that's yeah, that really is the ultimate example because like you talk about your you know 
rescuing your father from the underworld. He literally descended into hell, became sin, became all that was imperfect. Um, and then intention with that was, uh, you know, was then again ascended into heaven and, and has that um, resurrection and eternal life vibe. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, very interesting. Speaking of, so I'm going to try to pivot this, but having a vision for Hard the future. Pivot. Hard pivot. Go Ready? Yeah. <laughs> having a vision for the future and vision pro. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. No, but okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so Apple released their um, like first instance of their, like of a, what is it? Digital <laughs> digital reality, virtual yeah. reality. It's a AR VR. Yeah. yeah. Augmented reality yeah. and virtual yeah. reality. Yeah. It's it's their first um like ground up um software and hardware since like the Apple Watch, I think. Yeah. That's what I read. Right. right. So yeah. it's, it's, I mean in the Apple lineup it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. It's a new thing. Right, right. Yay. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. I mean I mean I have an iPhone, so and a Mac. No Apple Watch. No Apple Watch. There you go. But neither um, nostalgia nor <laughs> yeah. Did you guys watch the um like the press release for this thing? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, um, it was an ad for something I was watching, oh, and I just funny. that was the first time I watched like the nine minute ad. I was like, uh-huh. this is fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Um. Also, freaking scary. <laughs> anyway, keep yeah. going. What? <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. I just wanted to talk about it. it yeah. It is. It is a little um, disturbing. Yeah. The in the ad that I was watching, they mentioned um, magic. Yeah, it's like magic, and I don't know if you know. I'm I can't remember Apple's press releases with all their products, but mm. I I don't remember the last time they described their technology as like magic. Mm. And then um, I was watching um, one review about this thing too, and the guy admitted he's like, yeah, like I don't like describing things as magic, but this gets like eerily close to something magical. Mm. Um, and I don't like he wasn't he's not a paid um, yeah. sponsor for Apple, but to be using this term, oh, man, I I'm gonna look this up. But there's a um, there's a uh, science fiction um, uh, principle. Uh, if technology is called magic, run. <laughs> no, well, <laughs> um, yeah, I I know what you're talking about. You've mentioned it before. Like it's a, I have, if, right? if something is. Yes. So here. unexplained. Mm. Yeah, it's um any sufficiently advanced technology oh, yeah. is indistinguishable indistinguishable from magic. Interesting. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Mm. Um yeah. especially when we don't understand it, right? right? Um so uh, so it's it's interesting like it's just very um you know, brave new world mm. vibes where mm-hmm. it's just like it's like magic, everyone's ooing and eyeing. But it's like this this intense technology that's clamped around your head. <laughs> it's so crazy. And and with all these sensors and cameras like watching you. Yeah. It's like you're putting on 1984 on your head. Like <laughs> that isn't the whole thing. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good analogy, but um, like Brave New World or yeah, 19- uh, both. Yeah, sure. <laughs> neither 1984 nor Brave New World. <laughs> but um. In the press release, they try to make it seem as like natural as possible. Yeah, um, you it's know, super clunky. Well, too. and it's I love like, the like the, it's a minimalist like living room. Right. And the, the like mm-hmm. the the young woman is like perfectly dressed and like mm-hmm. using this thing. She's and, not gonna care about what she's wearing when she's <laughs> wearing that thing. <laughs> well, and then like you know, someone comes up to her to, to talk to her, and she's 
interacting with this person like naturally. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, you have this giant machine <laughs> yeah. on your head. You have scuba gear, and on. you're talking to them like if like you know yeah. it's a normal conversation. I mean, at the very least, this thing is cringy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like people Apple walk. Apple Vision is cringy, <laughs> and it's absurdly expensive too. Hot but like, just I can't imagine like, like you see people walking around with their iPhones and Apple right. Watches. Is this going to be a thing now? Where people are walking around. I don't think you can walk around. I mean, you probably can. That's the idea is that like they can actually, part of the press release is that they can see you naturally. Like they see your eyes. Right, right. Um, And so they they try to sell it as if it was a, uh, it's like, oh, it's just like wearing glasses. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it's just giant. (laughs) Yeah, but it's huge. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's like swimming goggles. goggles. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I don't, I, I just don't see it as that natural. Well, the thing uh, is, the the screen, the eyes that you quote unquote see are digitized. So what you're seeing, it may look like the room. It's just a, it's camera, a camera yeah, projecting um, that onto the right. 4K per eyeball screen. Yeah, um, and then they're seeing a like diagram of your eyes projected on. No, there. but I th- no, I think they're seeing your real eyes. No, you're not. No, I, yeah, yeah. I don't really? Think so. Yeah. so they're seeing a screen of your yeah, eyes. Yeah, yeah. And so you're like, oh, hello. Wow. It's like, gee, 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 gee. <laughs> That's how it works. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. I didn't know that. I thought it was like actually see through. Um, no. That's Which is, I mean, so just aside from the like, okay, it's clunky, whatever. Maybe a couple generations later, it'll be like slimmer and way slimmer, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And then not super pricey. But if this gets into the uh, normal use of people, like, I'm just thinking about the acceleration from like being around with your kids and being on your phone and not paying attention versus that. It's like you're not even like actually paying attention to them. They're watching like a screen of well, your right. eyeballs. Like, and well, and you are actually that, that, that's what's actually kind of worrisome is that if people live with this constantly on their face, they're not even looking at the real world. Yeah, right. It's it, it's like also constantly. cameras. Projecting that onto like you. like you know now we we say that now it's like oh we live through our phones yeah, yeah. we're constantly glued to the screen this is literally glued to the <laughs> yeah. screen like, it's, it's glued to your eyes <laughs> yeah. and like can you imagine like all day you're wearing this you have not seen reality with your eyes <laughs> at all you know yeah. this is like Darth Vader where like Luke Skywalker <laughs> like Luke Skywalker takes his mask off he's like let me look upon you with my own he's eyes he's like all pale you know? like <laughs> <laughs> um, that's what yeah that's what like, grandparents will say. Like, like in like 200 years. Yeah, let, me let, me, let, let me look at my grandchildren yeah, with my yeah. own eyes. Yeah. <laughs> I realize. And um, then they'll take theirs off and their grandchildren will be wearing the goggles. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I don't know just yet if it's going to be that prevalent, right? I mean, at least certainly right now, it's that's a pretty heavy price. It is. Yeah. Um, to, the thing I mean, it's like, also, it's I think like personal computers. Every, but every, um, every product that Apple has launched has made its way into the mainstream um, eventually. Like, at first, Apple Watch was very expensive, and not many people had that. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I think it probably won't until it's much cheaper. But even then, I... I would hope so. I don't know if it's going to be, like, socially acceptable to wear in public. Yeah, I don't I don't think... I mean, maybe not, but I don't my know. fear is going to be, like, in-person interactions at work, say. Yeah. You know, like, that's going to be gone. And then particularly, like, parents. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're a stay-at-home mom and you've got, like, babies, like, yeah, just slip that thing on and, like, keep a movie on on this side, but then your kid's here and it's fine. Like, <laughs> the amount of time that that's going to, like, deter away from paying attention to your child, 
It's like kids are gonna grow up with their parents thinking that their parents are like scuba divers. Like I don't know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. There's like a, that's crazy. There's a uh, Black Mirror episode. You know. You know Black yeah. Mirror. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know if it's headgear or if it's a drug. I think it's headgear. Um. That they wear. That these soldiers are wearing, and they're fighting these these like nasty looking aliens. And I think um, one of the guys his his either the drug wears off or the headgear is broken, and if he finds out that what he's killing aren't aliens but people, mm. but what the drug did and what the the headgear did was it it changed his vision of the people into something mm. grotesque that mm-hmm. he could kill and not feel bad about. And I think it even like changed his home, like I think he lived in like a shack, but it made it seem like it was really nice. I don't right. know if like it would it be able to it, it's able yeah. to change the appearances of the world around you like could it change the appearance of a well person that, isn't or? that what um could. Uh, Zuckerberg's metaverse thing um, promised right right yeah mm-hmm. is that like you know you could be sitting in like a log cabin um, yeah, at your yeah. home right uh, I don't know I don't know if um, Apple's thing will do that but that'll be um, imagine if like you can program it to be like 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 hey Siri um, present all Democrats as monsters to me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, because I, I know nothing would change. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> well, because like there, there is hot take. Okay. <laughs> there, there is um, the virtual reality right now, where it's like you are in a totally different place. At least, yes. Right. Yeah. Whereas yeah, yeah. I thought Apple Vision was supposed to be you're still here. It can do both. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. The thing is, it's not like immersive, where it doesn't like change the table to be a different looking table. It just like creates like a you know background. Well, you it can, does like, when you watch a movie. You can be like on the moon watching yeah, yeah. a sci-fi movie. Right. I I, um, I did that with the virtual reality. <laughs> you know, was it cool? It was awesome. Yeah. And you're fine. Yeah. So, no, right. I mean, yeah. I, mean, I only used it for like you know thirty minutes as yeah. opposed. To I don't want. <laughs> yeah, I'm not like saying like this is not cool. Like I think it would be really <laughs> cool to try out and see how it for works. Sure. Um, but like I like the level of addiction that thing could bring to just constantly wearing it. It's it's yeah. just it's kind of crazy. I mean, it is true. I played a. There was like a demo Star Wars game on this headset, and it is very immersive. And yeah. it feel, you know, at one point you're you're going through hyperspace, and it feels like you're at the helm of the ship, and you're actually flying through space. It's yeah. it's it takes about like you know like two or three seconds before your mind kind of like clicks over, and you're mm-hmm. you're there. But it is true, you're you're flying in space, and then you take it off, and you're in your living room. Yeah, boring. Yeah, and it's like, yeah you're like, man, this kind of I like yeah. this, I like the spaceship. Better, yeah, you know that was um, Ready Player One. Yeah, I, I don't know if you've seen that movie, um, uh, but um, it's it's virtually the same thing. Like everybody um, is mm-hmm. in this game, the Oasis. Um, is like constant use. The end of the movie, um, they like they regulate the rules. Where like you have Tuesdays and Thursdays that it's like illegal to play and it's like mm. supposed to be a good thing because yeah. like you're in the real like world. a Sabbath <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um, but I, I will say if I traveled a lot flying this thing would be amazing yeah. like on on a plane oh like, yeah across you know like if mm-hmm. you're like Atlant- uh, transatlantic mm-hmm. flights yeah th- that would be great because I hate flying. <laughs> I'm just making better. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah. The thing is, yeah, right I don't now, fly enough to spend thirty five hundred dollars on this thing. Yeah, I don't think the tech is ready for it to become like secondhand to people, but it will be like a phone eventually. Like I, I, I foresee that as just inevitable, and maybe it's until the tech can get smaller and like you know, asking people to wear something is a big ask. Yeah. Um, but 
But they did know, it with Apple Watch. Yeah, and like Steve Jobs was against um, the iPad, like having <laughs> uh, the iPad essentially. Yeah, because yeah, he didn't like you could, like touching screens is weird. Like it, yeah. it was okay for the phone, but like eventually these things become like if the tech is right and it feels intuitive, it'll start to get into the uh, lives of normal people. That mix with Neuralink is going to be crazy. Because right now yeah. we think of Neuralink like, right. oh, I could have my phone on my head, like in my head, and yeah. like I can see that. But like, what if you have that thing in your head? You're, we're toast. <laughs> we're toast. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, like the, the technology would take to, um, like, that that Vision Pro takes to like analyze your eyes and then project that onto a screen or whatever. Like that. It just can, has to type into your nerves. It just has direct access yeah, exactly. to. To yeah, to the right outside sensors is just inside. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's cheaper. <laughs> Maybe. Man, yeah. If we think we have epistemology problems now, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> seriously, no, seriously, <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, I know Steve Jobs would probably not be pro Vision Pro. <laughs> um. I mean, like, yeah, like he, he wasn't. Um. He wasn't a. He said he would not do an iPad. No, he said he would not do, an a watch. I remember mm. he went on record for saying he wouldn't do a watch. Interesting. Um, then they did the watch. I think um, he was a visionary genius. And so I think he saw things that were like timeless. Mm. And I don't know if I, – I feel like Apple now is much more for profit than actually like class-leading timeless design and for sure and, and technology. So I don't know. Um, yeah, we'll yeah. see. And, and Steve Jobs was very – oh, well, that's another thing. Because so Steve Jobs, um, as a person, he was uh, very much into like mindfulness. Mm. Um, during his lunch breaks, he would um, walk out into the garden of his headquarters barefoot mm. and spend like a long time there. Touch grass. So, yeah, exactly. Um, but there is a mindfulness function in the Vision Pro. Did you see that? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, and, like if you just want to escape, <laughs> yeah. Put on this technology. Right. <laughs> it's like yeah. counterintuitive. <laughs> Little pill um, comes out of the back. Can yeah. you just swallow that. <laughs> um, but it, it's almost like they're admitting, like this is gonna suck you up. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> and right. like if you don't, if you don't yeah. press yeah. download the the, <laughs> the meditation app, yeah, exactly. you're toast. <laughs> yeah, um, we have a new app called Get Help. <laughs> Because yeah. you're wearing this thing 24-7. Yeah, it's, it's like a mindfulness crazy. app. It's like you could just take it off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, like that, that Read a is, book. Right. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, too, because, like, you have your wire to an external battery pack that you put in your pocket. <laughs> it's so crazy. I want to see one with, like, two external battery packs <laughs> and, like, a backpack with, like, water and, like, <laughs> right. portable bathroom. And it's, oh, my gosh. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I sound like an old person. Um, Too much like, nostalgia. Oh, these, yeah, this t- these kids with their technology. Although, as it relates to neither nostalgia nor utopia, like I feel like that does tie in a little bit in that, like every major technology had that risk or has that risk. Right. You know, like before the phone was like, yeah. how many people are going to get lost in their phone? And to an extent, we are. And the solution is a kind of return to real life, turning it off, having that Sabbath. Um, and I feel like that's just a recurring cycle. So this is just the next iterance of it, but it does seem that it's progressingly harder to do, to de- to detach, yeah. disconnect. Yeah. Um, it's just like a finer line to be able to differentiate of like, well, Neuralink's a good technology and it's going to help a lot of people. It's going to like, you know, cure make, blindness. And whatever. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like um, heal paralysis, but 
like it's going to be crazy on on normal people wanting to just immerse themselves in a different world. Well, it, and that's that's always been the danger of technology is that you have this false sense of like um, uh, deification. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, even like the like that that language that you know it's magic. A Neuralink is going to heal blindness. Like this is these are things that. Christ did when he walked the earth, you know, like healing people of their illnesses. And then technology is here promising the same thing. And it's like, this is what, this is what, um, this is the biggest danger is that we are so tempted to believe like this provides everything that we need, that like we're safe now. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's a false sense of immortality. Um, and then I guess, you know, that's the garment of skin notion yep. um, that like, yes, you know, you can look at the world and have every piece of information available to you in this lens. Mm -hmm. um, but you're also going to be tricked into thinking that this is the world and that's it, you know. Yeah. Um, so trade trade offs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. yeah I mean, we had we had talked about this example before, but it's like the same problem of having um like machines do the heavy lifting, but then people get weak. Yeah, and so they it's have the to go thing. out of their way to yeah. go work out. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So it's like it's you're gonna go. Ha you're gonna have to go out of your way to have real experiences. To touch grass. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. for real. Yeah. Um, right. and that just needs to be more intentional than like I just occasion upon talking to my coworkers. Like, no, you're gonna have to make time to see them, to have a friendship, to have a church, to have a family. Like that all has to be intentional. Yeah. yeah. Every yeah. every bit of technology is it's like always uh, technology is man's mastery over nature. Nature it's it's or even more than mastery, I'd say it's a lot of times a bending mm. of nature. Oh yeah, to mm -hmm. work. Yeah. Um. In some ways, uh, uh, I don't want to say against itself, but it's almost a way to confound nature. It seems like something. Yeah. Who was the um? Who was the great philosopher thinker? Francis Bacon. I don't know the work he wrote, but he talks about putting nature on a rack and like torturing it to reveal its secrets. Right, um, right. Well, I mean, like nature has consequences, um, mm -hmm. but technology can actually blunt them right, yeah. and stop them. So it, it confounds nature in, in that in that way. So, you know, perhaps, you know, uh, nature's taking its course and it's taking your sight. But now we have the technology to confound like mm -hmm. this, this, this thing, this disease yeah. Yeah. Uh, to work against itself. And that's, that's been, uh, you know, I, I've never done a, a study on uh, like the reactions of technology throughout time, just because mm. we really don't, I don't think we have the data to go back mm. to medieval Europe and figure it out. But there, yeah. it seems like every piece of technology is like a loss, a little piece of humanity, you know, even if it's something, or I, I want to say humanity, that, that seems, because I think it is human to make tools. You know, oh like, yeah, you know to have. Yeah, tools but I would say I feel like anti nature, or yeah, not right. I know. It does seem That's, like a paradox, though, that is because it. it's our nature to make tools, but there's a way that they turn back on us. I, I do think, yeah, I think that's true. Like yeah. it's, it's not like you would say, well, you know, if you hammer and nails, like that's against yeah. your nature, right? And it's like, well, no, no, but no. that's we brought this up on a podcast too. But like when man makes something, we say that that's artificial. Yeah. Um, but when animals make a house, mm -hmm. we say that that's natural. Right. Like, right. What's the deal there? Mm -hmm. And I, I think it has to do with this idea that we're imposing our reason onto nature um, in a way that can actually um, work against itself. And that's what Francis Bacon was getting mm -hmm. at. Is like we, we torture nature so they can reveal its secrets so that we can use it to better ourselves. Mm. Um, whereas I think, 
I mean, yes, there's there's a sense of like a beaver, you know, gathering sticks and building a dam. Um, you know, that's not the way nature laid itself out, but it is. There's there is a like a, an intuitive distinction between what man does and animal does for sure. Animal animals do, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it's it's that idea of like it looks like we're destroying nature in a sense. And then also in a sense that what you were saying, Lee, how you were kind of hesitant to say that it destroys something of humanity. But that's always been like the claim of a new technology. Like even even writing, they were like, we're going to forget memorization. Right. Like when that came yeah. about. So it's like it is a technology that's going to be able to bring this to, like to solidify our thoughts so that we can spread it further. But there's a risk that we lose something of our humanity. And so we have to, we're going to have to be more intentional in memorizing. And mm-hmm. like the same thing just continues and continues and continues. Um, yeah, so it just seems like an eternal risk. <laughs> Yeah, because each piece of the technology seems to, in some way, make our lives easier. Uh, but in, in the in the ideas, it makes your life easier, but that frees you for greater adventure and greater endeavors. But right. will you use your yeah, time? But, right, and but that, for does that? it actually do that? You know, the same. You know, yeah. I think it's true of all the technology we've seen over the last 20, 30 years. It's like this is it's like the internet could connect you to. You know everyone and yeah. your friends, and you can email, mm-hmm. and you can you know find any piece of information you want. And that's still true, but it can also be used to destroy each other. Right. And yeah, so it, it just seems like yeah, each piece can. It's there's no solutions. Mm-hmm. Exactly. There's only yeah. trade-offs. Yeah. I think that the in my mind, like the greatest danger of the internet. This is a little bit of a rant um, tangent. <laughs> Go. But no. But um, in the sense that uh, I think the biggest danger is that we are fooling ourselves for um, thinking that information is education. Mm. Um, and when we are able to look up anything on the internet, we memorize all these data points and think that we know it all, right? Um, or or worse, is like, I don't need to learn that because I can look it up on the internet, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but acquiring information from Wikipedia is not the same thing as being educated. Uh, and that's, I think, one of the great dangers of society today mm-hmm. is that um people think that they know enough where they don't need to know things because they could just look it up yeah but they don't know actually how to think right yeah right um, that always that's something that gets under my skin with people are like they, they use medieval as a like derogatory mm-hmm. it's like it's so medieval it's oh like, yeah <laughs> it's like you know <laughs> they would crush you intellectually <laughs> right i was like you know the, the people who because not everyone went to university mm-hmm and even smart people didn't go to university. Like there was a r- lots of reasons. Like you yeah. really had to have the money and and, and the talent. Yeah. You had to have show some mm-hmm. sort of natural ability to go to a university. And when you did, I mean, these the top students at the University of Paris would, in you know the seventeenth or in the uh, the thirteenth century, would embarrass our undergrads. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely embarrass them. And they. Had what fifteen books right in their yeah. library? Yeah, exactly. You know, but they like. I mean, mm-hmm. these men had to really understand what they were reading. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think you're right, just having, just because your library is very big and you have access to literally any piece of information, that right. doesn't mean you actually know, these know yeah. what you're talking about. Yep. Um, and I think we're, we're seeing the effects of that, like now, like in our, like the political tensions are so high. People are like the age of misinformation, that's what we like to mm-hmm. call today. Um, and just just look at a conversation online. It's like, these people have no idea what they're talking about. There is something about technology, uh, to your point, that is 
that reeks of this problem in that um, with the internet, we are assuming that wisdom is the sum of the parts of information. Like if we just have the parts of the information pieces, then we have wisdom. Mm-hmm. And wisdom is something greater than the sum of its parts, right? So it's the same thing. It's like friendship is just talking to your friend and I can just send a text message. Right. No, friendship is more than the sum of its parts. And so we're like seeking out these moments and experiences and ways of being that are more than just the uh, the, natural, the natural instances of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to reduce it to just that and saying, like, they're just the material interactions with people. So I can just get on a phone call or I can just send you a text and you read it. And that's all friendship is. And then and then we're like, why am I depressed? Yeah. Like, why am I why don't why mm-hmm. am I not wise? Why don't why, why don't I have the answer to these big questions? Like, because you're reducing everything, getting rid of the gestalt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, that's that's <laughs> the error of 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 ideology apart mm-hmm. for the whole, mm-hmm. you know, thinking that. This one aspect of of humanity is everything. Is yeah. everything yeah, exactly? Um, so mm. it, it's like you understand a, a piece. You understand, you know, a tweet, <laughs> essentially mm-hmm. of, of of this political argument, a tw- you know, tweet size of, of the whole argument, and mistake that for the whole, and, right. and mistake it for I actually understand this political argument. Mm. It's like nope. There, there's so <laughs> there's yeah. so many yeah, other exactly. parts to this. Yeah, that is interesting. Tying in into idolatry in that. Or ideology and then idolatry and that like yeah. we worship these things as like the sum of all things. Yeah. Hmm. Didn't didn't Google try to come out with like a Vision Pro before Google Glass. Google Glass. Yeah, yeah. Google yeah. Glass. Yeah. And that then the thing. Oculus for Facebook. That was yep. like their whole big thing. Wait, but did they did they come out with that? Yeah. It's out, but it w- it didn't like take off the way they thought it was going to. You're right. And and Google Glass didn't either. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. But it was kind of trying to do the same thing. Yeah. Everyone on the internet is now like looking back at Google Glass and be like, that actually looks kind of cool <laughs> compared to Vision Pro. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Way more simple. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think, I mean, you know, Apple has their um, marketing strategists and they understand like their demographic. But I just, how many people can spend $3,500 on this thing? It's just it's gonna be an elite thing first. So be like, this is cool. You want to be like cool yeah, people. Yeah, right. Now yeah. we have Vision yeah. SE, and it's smaller, and it doesn't do as many things. Yeah. But you can be almost as cool as that guy. That and then when it. the new one comes out, the Vision Pro One will be cheaper. Exactly. And yeah, yeah, yeah. This is it's the same thing with the Apple. It's a Watch. whole scheme. It's, yeah, yeah. Not to mention though, the first thing I say when I saw it was like. Release the real version, guys. Like, I know you have, like, 16 iterances of this that are farther down the line that are thinner and, like, have actual, like, sound and, like, a battery pack that's not, like, attached to your pocket. No, but is that really true? I don't know, but that's my theory. Is that Joe they... is nodding. Uh, yeah, shit. Joe, Joe <laughs> says it's true. So, fact check. See, wisdom. As long as yeah. you have Joe around. <laughs> no, but, like... The the thing that's the thing with technology is that like once they come out with something, then they see how they can improve it. Yeah, you know, going back actually to like perfection of the enemy mm-hmm. of the good. They release what's good and then they keep perfecting it. <laughs> yeah, um, but they're so, they're probably perfecting it right now. Well, the, yes, that's the thing is like, but yeah. they like, don't have sixteen iterations in their like closet. I mean, it's probably in a drawer. No, no I, <laughs> I mean it's probably conceptual of like what they could do next. Maybe yeah. I think they I think they dumb it down so that they have a little bit of leg room. You think so? Yeah, for sure. 
I don't yeah. know. Like the, how many iPhones they come out with, like camera lenses. Like yeah, but that's because they like constantly, they're constantly like tweaking it. But I don't think they're at the cutting edge. They got to be like a couple iterances ahead. They're like, all right, so we'll back this down. These to... guys are geniuses. Yeah, and that's it's a genius marketing. <laughs> 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 I don't know. Regardless, we're never going to see that closet. So. <laughs> yeah. It's like the way I see it is like a um, when you release singles before an album, people are like, oh, he's working on an album. Like, no, the album's done. I'm just leaking the the parts first, and then you think that I'm I working guess so. on it. Yeah, that's how it works. All right, that's, that's my conspiracy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, let's end it there, though. Good way to tie it up. Um, we're gonna jump to the bonus episode where we're gonna take a deep dive into the manosphere. Talk, huh? talk about Sigma males. Yeah. Oh boy. Um. You can go to basicallyrelated.com to hear that conversation. Uh, We do weekly bonus episodes. Uh, We'll see you next week.